In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And I add my welcome to the already rowdy time that we have had together. Um, I think we should have dancing in church every week. Yes, see, that's the response I like to hear. Enthusiasm. Come on, let's keep it up. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a wild day. My, even my hair is brought to you by Generation Sunday. This is done by Layla. Thank you. <laughs> We're just embracing it this afternoon. Um. Yeah, it's worth saying. If things are different than usual, that's okay. Um, I'm just going to roll with it so you guys can roll with it too. Great. <laughs> Great. If you have been around New Life Brisbane for any length of time, you've probably heard someone paraphrase the Lord's Prayer something like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on Brisbane as it is in heaven. Anyone heard that before? It was probably me. I was probably that person who was saying that. And that's not because other people don't pray that. It's just somehow they trust me with a microphone. And so it was probably here. And if you are new or visiting this afternoon, welcome. Oh, thanks, Anna. The quicker that you inculcate this phrase or this prayer into your vocabulary, along with the phrase, more people, more like Jesus, the quicker you will fit in around here. I'm joking, but also I am... Not. Because these two phrases are the two or two of the biggest phrases of our collective heart. They are the two biggest cries of our collective heart. It's why we exist. More people, more like Jesus is the heartbeat of the New Life family of churches. And this prayer, this paraphrase of this prayer that I'm claiming, um, is what we're longing to see. Because here at New Life Brisbane, we believe that we don't just exist for ourselves. That we actually have been placed in the middle of a city for a reason, for a purpose, because God is longing to encounter not just us who are in this room, but a city in need of Jesus. We want to see this city come to life. And a little history lesson for you. Back in 2019, it was actually in July, which is wild that we're in July again. Pastor Michael, our old pastor, began something that we called Seven at Seven. Does anyone remember 7 at 7? Flooded your Instagram stories on very late on Tuesday night when I forgot or Aaron forgot. Anyway, here we are. But 7 at 7 came after a season of prayer and fasting in our church. And Pastor Mike just had this conviction that this shouldn't just be something that we do for a season and then we just scoot past and go back to our regular lives. He really believed that this church would be a praying church, that we would be a praying people. And so 7 at 7 was birthed. Every Wednesday, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., no matter what you were doing, where you were, who you were with, we would pause for seven minutes at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., and we would pray. And the invitation Michael made was that he would be in King George Square every Wednesday morning, 7 a.m., and we were invited to come and join. 
at that, at that point, um, I was living on the Gold Coast, so I'd get up, I'd get on the train, get into Brisbane City at 7 a.m., which was glorious and cold, and Michael and I would pray. Come on. Occasionally, people would join us, and that was always something that we would celebrate, but we would stand and pray and observe and listen, walk around the block. We'd always finish on Adelaide Street because I'm from Adelaide and it was always nice to just pray for home as the last stretch. Occasionally we'd be asked for a light or something else like that. That's life in the center of a city. Why do I tell you this? Because two of the things that we would recurringly pray still are things that we pray today. The first was this recognition, this thanksgiving, God, thank you that you love this city more than I do. Thank you that you love the people that make up the city of Brisbane more than I do. And what that was, was this recognition that sometimes it's easier, thank you, it's easier to actively inhabit the space inside of a church building, and we forget that other people out there need to hear this message. So this was training our hearts to remember that there are other people who are yet to know the message. The second thing that we would pray is this kind of wild prayer that King George Square, that literal space out there, would be a place where the veil, the distance, the gap, hi Ruthie, the gap between heaven and earth was thin. We would pray that this space in King George Square, just outside these walls, would be a place where anybody walked through, they might encounter something of God that their imaginations might be sparked, their hearts might beat a little bit quicker, knowing that there was someone or something out there who wanted to speak to them. And the reason we pray this is because this story that we have all been caught up in, whether you're at the beginning of your journey or you've been following Jesus for a long time, the story that we've been caught up in, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the announcement that the kingdom of God has come near, it means something for you as an individual for me as an individual, but it also means something for the world. And not just the here and now, but what is still yet to come. Mm, so much here that we just need to scoot on through. And um, there's a few hats. You could just skip through these, Cass. There's a few hats that I wear at New Life Brisbane. Some of them I have the privilege of being kind of freed up financially to be able to do, like I'm part of the staff team. But one of my favorite things that I get to do is to be the one who kind of leads and pioneers our prayer ministry. Now, I didn't tell you this because I need your recognition or for you to celebrate that or whatever, but for what I want to say to you next. I'm speaking to you tonight as the person who leads the New Life Brisbane prayer ministry. And what I want to say to you is I am not a prayer expert. I hope we can collectively just like breathe out. If the person who they've trusted to lead a prayer ministry is not a prayer expert, that means there's still hope for the rest of us, for me included. Breathe out. You can be free here to just be. And there is a slide that has heart posture and proficiency, Cass. Have a think. What's your heart posture towards prayer? What's your proficiency at prayer? For me, I have a very strong conviction that it's important that it's powerful, that it's effective. But my skill level, if you go to the next one, is I am incompetent. And the only way that I know how to get better at most things in this life is by practice. It's by practice. And so when I marry conviction with incompetence, it means that I just keep showing up. It means I keep praying and I keep learning and I keep praying this prayer, Lord, teach me to pray. 
That's the banner for this series, teach me to pray. And so I wonder, what is it for you? Are you convicted too? Have you just done Alpha and you're like, whoa, this is cool. I can talk to the God of the universe. Are you someone who feels guilty when we talk about prayer because maybe you don't pray as much as you'd like to? Maybe there's a sense of apathy, like a, eh, whatever. Maybe you're a red-hot intercessor. You're on your face, crying before the Lord every morning, noon, and night. I don't know. Whatever it is for you. Have a think also about where you feel your proficiency is. Now, this is kind of a trick question because if we say we're competent in prayer, you know, kind of whatever. But where are you at? Do you feel like you have this confidence about your prayer life where you know the character of God, you know God's your Father, you know that you can come before Him with prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving? Maybe you're an expert. Maybe you're practiced. Maybe you have a bit of a bipolar prayer life where one day you'll pray for seven hours straight and then you won't pray for another 10 years. I am not an expert, and I hope this frees you tonight. I'm not an expert, but I'm learning to be intentional. And so I keep showing up, and I hope this is an invitation to you. Wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, keep showing up, keep saying yes, keep responding to his whispers and his invitations. Pete Greig, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, which is not the only 24-7 prayer movement, he just happened to call it 24-7 prayer movement. He has three really helpful things when it comes to prayer. He says, keep it real, keep it simple, and keep it up. And this is why I constantly pray these lines of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that helps me keep it simple, helps me keep it real, and it helps me keep it up because I can memorize two or three lines, not much else. And I can memorize God's word and pray that back to him because that is a truth that will never change. How I feel on any given day about prayer changes. The words that come to my mind at 7 a.m. are sometimes quite different from the ones I'm able to form at 4 (laughs) p.m. Praying this sentence with these three points in mind frees us to learn to pray. And so would you pray with me tonight using these words that we all know so well. I'm going to read it and pray it in the NLT. So I hope that's a little bit fresh for you. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't yield us, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. God, would you give us eyes to perceive and ears to hear what you want to speak to us tonight? We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in this room, in our hearts, as it is in heaven this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So tonight, all I want to do with you is share a little bit about the why behind why I pray, the why I pray this prayer. It's not necessarily going to be a well, smooth, flowing, um, three-pointed sermon like Alex would preach, but I hope it lets you in a little bit of a window, (laughs) a little window of my soul, and um, yeah, that that would just encourage and maybe inspire you to keep practicing, keep trying, keep praying. (laughs) In his biography of Jesus, the gospel writer Mark records the moment that Jesus bursts onto the scene, proclaiming the good news of God. 
cast this slides for these. Keep going. Perfect. <laughs> the time has come, he said. This is Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And with this announcement, this one you see on the screen, was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, this scene comes directly after a moment Dylan actually talked about last week, where before Jesus did or accomplished anything, the Father pronounces this declaration over him that Jesus is his beloved Son with whom he is well pleased. And sometimes when we have a sermon series, it's hard to remember what came before and what's coming after, especially when we break up such a small prayer into six weeks. But it's important that we remember that what we're praying tonight comes from this assurance and this confidence that God is our Father and that with you, he is well pleased. Dylan also said this, he said, we have nothing to prove, but we have lots to do. And that's also the posture we have to approach this with. There's lots of work for us to participate in when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. But it's not from a place of striving or proving or trying. It's from a place of confident assurance in our sonship and in our daughtership, which is not a word, but we will go with it. It'd be a fair question to ask right now, what actually is God's kingdom? And you could have an entire sermon series about this, so let me give us a really brief overview. The kingdom of God is one, the rule of the eternal sovereign God over all the universe, think big picture. Two, the kingdom of God is the spiritual rule in the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. And three, What's yet to come? The kingdom of God is a kingdom that's not of this world, that one day will be established forever. Now, if you're a bit confused by the timeline of this, let me tell you a story about my friend Samuel to um, hopefully put us a bit at ease and maybe make it make sense. My friend Samuel is six, and his birthday is on October 5th, and at the moment they're in Norway, him and his family, and they're going to be gone for three months. And every Tuesday we hang out, we ride bikes, ice skate, we play Sushi Go or Totem Tennis or something like that. I'm trying to madly dodge this ball. And we're having this conversation about how many days there are until his birthday. Somehow, this six-year-old knows exactly how many days there are until October 5th. I have no clue. Inevitably, the conversation ends up going something like this. Samuel, my birthday is on October 5. Lauren, yeah, that's so cool. I'm so glad you're going to be back from Norway by then. Samuel, yeah, my birthday is after we get back from Norway. Lauren, yeah, awesome. I'm so glad that you'll be back for your birthday after you're back from Norway. Samuel, that means that when we get back from Norway, it's my birthday. Lauren, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah nah, nah, kind of, not really, like, no. No, not, not really. Now, why do I tell you this story, you're wondering? One, it's cute. Two, I miss my friend Samuel. Three, because Samuel knows exactly when his birthday is. Yet, in the scheme of time, he actually has no clue. Sometimes, when we talk about the kingdom of God being here and now and present, but also somehow yet to come, we can kind of feel a bit like Samuel. We know exactly what it is, but we also, in the scheme of things, have no clue. The adult version of this timeline confusion maybe is um, anyone still thinking that it's March 2020? Anyone else like me just blinked and now it's July? Yeah, we get confused a lot by time. It's a human thing. 
But the theological term for this timeline confusion that we feel when we talk about the kingdom of God is called inaugurated eschatology. Inaugurated eschatology. There you go. Basically what that means is that God's kingdom is here and now, but it's still yet to come. And if we go back to those three definitions and we link them, the rule of eternal sovereign God over all the universe is here and now. That's happening. The spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority, that's kind of happening here and now, but it's still something that we're awaiting, we're longing, we're bringing more people into. But then that third one, the kingdom that's not of this world, that one day will be established forever, that is still yet to come because we have a massive disconnect between what we believe the kingdom to be and what we experience about the pain and the destruction and the suffering now. But what Jesus inaugurated What he began when he clothed himself in humanity and he came and he walked among us was bringing God's redemptive presence down to earth. See, God's kingdom is where his presence is, where there is life and flourishing and relationship. And we do live in this middle space where we know what the ending is, but we're not there yet. We feel that. We feel that tension and that longing about that. I was going to give you an overview of um, the relationship between God's presence and humanity, but we just do not have time for that tonight. But basically, humans and God's presence have had a bit of a dicey relationship, and that is nothing to do with God, everything to do with us. He has done nothing but chase us down and try and bring those two things back together again. Humanity rebels and rejects and runs away and does our own thing and God chases us down and chases us down and chases us down trying to bring his presence back to being a place where we can encounter him. And so then we come back to Jesus. Jesus becomes this new temple where God's presence isn't just experienced in a geographic region or in a particular ethnic group or in a building even. God's presence is now experienced in a person. God's kingdom is where his presence is, and God's presence is wherever Jesus is. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth collide. Jesus is this living, walking, healing, talking, breathing, messy, hurting, loving, moving presence of God. The writer John says it like this, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. To dwell means to take up residence, to pause, to be still, to put down roots, to abide. And it's fitting because Jesus in the Bible is also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And through all of human history where for centuries um, the presence and humanity were at a distance, again, only by our own doing, not because of God. Jesus now becomes the one who ushered in a new season of relationship between humanity and God. He was the one who was sent by God to model for us what perfect relationship looks like and what perfect relationship produces. And so from here, what are we actually asking when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, it will be done? What are we actually asking for? Because what we think a kingdom is, is somewhat different from the kingdom that maybe Jesus had in mind. If we're honest, sometimes I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But what I actually mean is, God, um, I'd like my kingdom to come and the things that I want to be done, to be done. 
The thing is, we're in good company here because the disciples were in the same boat. What they thought Jesus meant by the the kingdom was a military kingdom that would come and just overturn the empire of their day, which was Rome. They thought he was going to do that by force. They were really disappointed when he didn't. They wanted a kingdom of prestige and power and recognition. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand and be enthroned above it all with him. They wanted a kingdom that didn't cost them anything. Not their pride, not their comfort, definitely not their lives. They wanted a kingdom that would fit nice and neat and tidily into their expectations for what a kingdom would be. What about us? And maybe I'm just speaking for me, and if it is, I'm exposed. If it's for you, if there's something in here, then hear this too. Sometimes we want a kingdom where we're its ultimate authority. We want a kingdom that doesn't interfere with our desires or our dreams or our plans for our lives. We want a kingdom where we can just take the nice bits of Christianity, the love and the peace and the justice, but we want to forsake the rest of the truth that all scripture is God-breathed. Friends, we cannot love God and love the world. I preached about this just a few weeks ago. You cannot desire God's kingdom and remain tangled up in your own. You can't claim Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior and your King and continue to live Sunday night through next Saturday as if he doesn't exist. And I'm not sorry that I'm passionate about this. Because to be honest with you, I don't really mind if you like me or like what I say that much, but I care deeply that you know the truth of the gospel. I care that you know that following Jesus for real will cost you everything. I care that you know that following Jesus for real will cost you everything, but the choice to not follow him will cost you more. That's, honestly, that's what I care about right now, okay? If you don't like what I'm saying, email alexstarkatchurch.nu and um, we'll just call it a day. (laughs) So that's been a bit abstract. What are we actually praying for? Let's make this concrete. Two things. What does this prayer look like? Firstly, it looks like living with an expectant longing that Jesus would return soon. There's a parable in Matthew 25 about 10 virgins. Five are prepared for their bridegroom and five are not ready. Look it up, write that down in your notes, look it up, read it later. Living with an expectant longing that Jesus would return soon is living with Jesus as your one thing. It's living with Jesus as your most important and most beautiful thing. It's living in a way that you will do whatever it takes to be ready and waiting for him to return because he is coming back. It looks like you reorienting your entire life in order to put Jesus first in all things. That's not radical or crazy or just for some. That is for everybody who wants to follow Jesus. The second thing that praying this prayer looks like is a willing participation in broadening and establishing his kingdom here and now. You know something? It breaks my heart when I hear Christians stuck in this cycle of, I have to. I have to serve I have to go to church, I have to read my Bible, I have to pray. To be perfectly honest with you, you don't have to do anything. No one can force you to do anything. And if that is you, if that's your mindset or your heart set, then you have settled for something less than what Jesus is actually offering you. He wants more for you than just like begrudging obedience. 
willing participation in broadening and establishing God's kingdom is living from a place of security in your adoption as a son or a daughter of God and responding with joy by putting your whole life in front of him as an offering, saying, here I am, God. Here I am. Send me. Use me. For your glory, for the good of the world, for your kingdom to come. C.S. Lewis famously said it like this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought more of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that we have become so ineffective in this one. What do we do in that very moment where our aspirations, our legitimate aspirations to live for God come crashing up against the reality of our day-to-day lives? What happens in the moment where all we see around us is pain and brokenness and suffering and injustice and we think that God just seems maybe a little bit too late to this party? What do we do when we have an opportunity to make much of ourselves or to climb the ladder or to gain more money but we have this whisper in the back of our mind saying, I have more for you than that. I want to suggest tonight that in that moment, in those moments, that's when we look to Jesus. Who in his biggest moment of weakness and pain and heaviness, when the sin of the world was literally placed on his shoulders, he still in that moment chose to say, yet not my will be done, but yours be done. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For what was still yet to come, he endured the present moment. For what was still yet to come, he chose in that moment to yield what he wanted for what his father was doing. Over what was best for him, He chose, yet not my will, but yours be done. And friends, all of human history has changed for the better because of that moment. Jesus in the garden is our ultimate example of what it looks like to pray that God's will would be done, that God's kingdom would come. That's what it looks like for heaven and earth to collide. So what do we do with all of this? This has all been like a nice adventure that you're probably like, where is she going with this? What does it look like for heaven on earth in you? If you've ever been on a youth camp, you've probably heard red and blue do not mix. We do not have any purple on this camp. There's a few giggles. I know that you know what I'm talking about. And it's good. (laughs) But here, I want to redefine this little, um, what's it called? Policy? Equation. Did someone say equation? That's what I was looking for anyway. Thank you. I want to redefine this equation for us tonight because the Bible Project, which is a fantastic resource if you haven't heard of it, come on, has this beautiful video about heaven and earth. They describe, actually, close your eyes for a second. Let's let's go on an adventure here. Any of you kids here, your favorite color is blue? Any kids with a favorite color that's red? Oh, that's Gabe. Very good, very good. So, 
This video describes the garden as this beautiful blue circle. Everything is perfect. God and humanity walk in the cool of day, shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. And then Genesis 3 happens and humanity, we choose selfishness and sin over being with God. And the circle is ripped apart into two. And suddenly we have this blue circle of perfection. But we also have this red circle of brokenness and pain and suffering and separation. And then what happens when Jesus enters the picture? when he clothes himself in flesh and he walks among us, is these two circles start to move back together. And wherever Jesus is, there are these little spaces of purple. This man who is fully God, yet fully human, brings these two circles to overlap. And in that space is where Healing happens. It's where demons are cast out of people. It's where there's restoration of relationship. It's where dead things come back to life. There are three things that it says in the Bible that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to do. Firstly is that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The second thing is that he came to seek and save what is lost. And the third thing that he did was come eating and drinking. He was a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. And that's what happens in these spaces of purple. There's sacrificial love. There's an eye for the one, for those who are still yet to come. And there is this risky hospitality where we risk our lives and our reputation to welcome in those who are different from us. There was this quote, you can open your eyes um, if you still were having them closed. There was this quote at the start of this PowerPoint as I was uh, preparing this sermon and I don't know who this person is, I don't know what their context was, but when I read this quote, I cried (laughs) because I'd like for this to be true of me. It says, what the world needs above all else is not people who say prayers with greater or lesser regularity, but people who are prayers. And what Jesus started when he was here on earth was this inauguration of the kingdom, these faces of purple. I hope you never think of that equation the same ever again. He started these places of purple And then when we received the Spirit, when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, the Spirit now lives in us. And so now no longer is just the Spirit in Jesus, wherever Jesus is physically on earth, because that would be bad news because He's not here at the moment. But when the Spirit was given to those who believe, we actually get to be those people. And so now it's not a geographic region, it's not a tent, it's not a tabernacle. It's not a temple. It's not one man walking around doing really awesome stuff. No, there's at least, what, 130, 140 of us here. There's 140 purple people who get to walk around and bring life and flourishing and restoration, pointing to something that is still yet to be fully realised. 
The world doesn't need more people who say they pray. In some ways, it does not matter if you go home tonight and you pray or you don't. What the world needs is people who embody this, who live it, who when they pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in, he- in earth as it is in heaven. They're talking about themselves. That as a community, this would be something that is true and becoming truer of each of us. That we would embody this prayer, that that would be the space that we pray from. And so just to finish, I have a really simple question for you. Will you be somebody who embodies this prayer? Will your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven be true of you? Because I think on earth as it is in heaven begins with heaven on earth in you. Will you be someone who ushers in the kingdom of God in all of its messy, complicated, generational glory? Will you be someone who ushers in the kingdom of God into your world? We're going to respond in song, in a sung prayer that we can all pray at the same time together. And I want to say to you, if this isn't something that's true of you, if this isn't something that you maybe even don't want to be true of you, then would you sing this prayer even louder? Because something happens when we declare something with our mouths that even our hearts don't yet believe. It starts to actually make it true, even if it's not true yet. If you are someone who maybe like me feels convicted about prayer but feels incompetent, then sing this all the more loudly too because these words are literally summarising what we've been talking about tonight and what our heart is to see for this city. Let me pray. God, we want to see your kingdom here. That's really as simple as our prayer is. And yet we know that that prayer will change the world. God, for those of us who are hearing this for the first time, you're like, what? I have a part to play in this kingdom too. Would you just breathe on that fire and fan that into flame, God? For those of us who maybe are stuck in a feeling of fear or shame or even condemnation, we just rebuke that in the name of Jesus that this is something we get to do, not something we have to do. Free us from the things we get stuck in. God, for those of us who are longing to see your kingdom on earth in our time, would you impress on our hearts this willingness to keep praying, to keep waiting, to keep becoming? We want to see your kingdom here. We want to see your kingdom in us and through us and despite us and because of us. On earth as it is in heaven, Lord. 